Welcome to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli with me, Sarah Wright. The SCT Hour is a chance for us to raise awareness of bone cancer and sarcoma whilst talking about all the sorts of things that our charity gets up to. So we speak to some of our incredible supporters in this programme and we are entirely funded by donations. It's also a chance for us to hear from the health professionals who work here at the RNOH and support people with bone cancer. But it's also an opportunity to hear from people who have been affected by this rare type of cancer themselves. And today I'm very happy to be joined by James Wilson. Uh, James had osteosarcoma as a teenager and is a patient of Mr. Gikas. James has been clear of his cancer for many years Um, And today he's going to talk to us about his diagnosis, his surgery, his recovery, and also why he wants to be involved with the Skeletal Cancer Trust. Now, I'm expecting a pretty open and certainly interesting conversation, so no pressure, James, but welcome to the SCT Hour here on Radio Broccoli. Thank you, and very pleased to be here. Thank you. So I think it would be really important for our listeners to get the background uh, of your journey. So I think a, a, a good place to start would be with your diagnosis. Now, for a lot of people with bone cancer or sarcoma, the journey to actually getting a diagnosis can be quite a long one. Uh, we have a, a sort of uh, a soundbite, if you like, about how GPs often might only see one case of a sarcoma or bone cancer in the whole of their professional career. So it is quite rare. So your, how you came to, to find this is, is quite, quite interesting. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I think, I mean, certainly it is an incredibly rare disease and, and that's been made painfully clear to me over the years as well. Um, but actually my story of how it was discovered and, and I guess the, you know, the, the diagnosis and then the subsequent treatment is actually quite um, interesting. And actually I feel very fortunate actually to be in, in many ways the right place at the right time. So, you know, if I can take you back to the heady summer of 1996, which is when I was first diagnosed. So um, I was 17 at the time. I was in between... Uh, my first and second year of A-levels. It was um, just the middle of the summer holidays and I had been essentially mucking about in the garden with my dogs and, you know, playing football as most 17-year-old boys would do. And, you know, I, I think I must have twisted my knee, landed rather badly. And so I was kind of hobbling around for a couple of weeks, but nothing nothing untoward. Uh, and it was all kind of fine and I'd been to see, you know, some doctors and they'd said, oh, it's probably just a, you know, you pulled a muscle or, you know, a torn a ligament or something. But then one morning, um, you know, I, I got out of bed and I tried to stand on it and actually the pain of standing on it was was quite acute. Um, and there appeared to be a swelling in the on, on the side of the knee as well, which was quite unusual. And so, uh, you know, my mum and I thought it was just that maybe there's a bit of swelling and maybe it needed a bit of a bit of treatment. But because I couldn't walk on it, we'd actually decided to go straight into into Warwick Hospital, which is very close to where I lived at the time, um, and actually try and you know kind of force the issue a little bit um, through um, through trying to f- to see someone immediately because it was just getting getting quite painful. Um, when we went into Warwick Hospital, um, you know we did the normal the normal stuff. They took an X ray, um, and you know we went through the, the procedure of doing that. But we happened to 
uh, luck, uh, for want of a better word, on a, a visiting fellow who would, who I, be- I believe must have come from the orthopedic hospital in Birmingham, um, but I never, I never could find out his name, but was actually on duty in that day and had took one look at my x-ray and thought, there's something that doesn't look quite right here. And so kind of not really giving any clue to myself or my mum he kind of told us that actually it would make more sense for for me to get my leg plastered up completely so I was Mm. in kind of going in on you know what I thought was just going to get some heavy duty painkillers um to kind of coming out you know with a with a leg fully in plaster like I'd broken it or something um you know and all that was all very amusing and we kind of you know laughed and joked about you know how you kind of shouldn't go into the hospital because you're going to come out with a, a plaster cast um and that was on that was on the Friday, and then essentially on the Monday they'd arranged for me to go to the Birmingham Orthopaedic Hospital in in, um, uh, in the Midlands, and so I went in there on the Monday, so literally three days later, to go in and, and essentially have a biopsy done on my knee, um, you know, through the pastor class, and they left that on, and then you know from that you know they brought us back in, I think again probably about two days later. And um, essentially told us the news that, you you know, I had, uh, you know, an osteosarcoma in my knee and actually they need to move fairly quickly um, because it was quite aggressive. And I guess from there I'd started chemo the following Monday. So literally from probably, you know, uh, going into our hospital to, you know, being um, on a drip was probably 10 days max. So So it was a real kind of you know baptism of fire and just kind of changing our whole perception of of what we needed to do just change you know i mean not quite overnight but you know you know it's it's near enough in this kind of situation it must have been an incredible shock for you and your family yeah i mean it's 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 odd i was chatting to my mother about this last night actually because you know uh for any of the listeners who's who's kind of going through this or or has been through this in the past actually certainly when i did this which is i guess getting on you know, 20 or so years ago, the drugs that were, you know, put through my body actually, you know, it, it means either a combination of they were just incredibly strong and therefore mm. I don't have a lot of memory or the body just naturally kind of blocks out quite traumatic periods of your life. And so my memory of the time is um, is kind of uh, steered a little bit by other people's recollections. Um, and I was talking to my mother about this, about that kind of her reaction to it. And, you know, I think she and my father kind of just went straight into business mode rather mm. than actually, you know, dealing with the emotional th- side of things, which I think helped us all as a family get over it because it wasn't then about, you know, the woe is me and all that kind of stuff. It was very much a, right, okay, what do we need to do next? How do we get through this? Very making it very practical. What's the plan, yeah. Exactly. What's the, what's the next step? What is the plan? And really focus it on on the actions and the outcome which was meant to be you know me getting back to normal as quickly as possible rather than dwelling on something which you know was you know an incredibly unfortunate but completely chance discovery yeah and then of course you you're having your chemotherapy and you're told that you need to have surgery as well so do you remember much about what 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 that bit of information was like knowing that you're going to have to have a an operation yeah i mean they were they were fairly clear from the start that it it needed an operation i mean simply because um you know the, the the cancer that i had was actually inside the bone and so there's no real way of removing it because of where it was on the body the it meant that actually my whole knee joint had to come out and you yeah. had to you know had to remove that so they were quite clear from the start about the operation and and the scale of it and you know were 
you know, described to me, probably at my insistence, given I was a 70-year-old boy, you know, in quite graphic detail what mm. the operation um, entailed. But the, um, but the, I mean, the actual kind of gearing up to that again, I think it was quite a matter-of-fact type um, situation. I do distinctly remember... Um, you know the, the the very fact that because of the nature of the um, of the surgery, you know there is, you know the surgeons can't account for everything, and so there is obviously a chance that something can go wrong, and actually they may need to um, take more drastic uh, steps than I had originally been anticipated. And so I do remember, you know, being seventeen, I was obviously classed as an adult, and I had to sign personally the fact that they, you know, had the right to essentially remove my leg um, if they found something which was. Um, you know, untoward, which, you know, for me was probably the most traumatic part mm. of it. Up until then, I'd just been on uh, on drugs that were, you know, just incredibly uh, vomit-inducing, literally and figuratively. Um, and and so the first kind of time, which which was very nerve-wracking, was, you know, signing that, um, that form and then yeah. being put under, uh, you know, for however long I was under. And, and then so waking up, being slightly disorientated and kind of trying to figure out actually whether... You know, I, I still had you know all my body parts it was yeah. quite a, quite a an odd experience, and one I do actually remember quite quite vividly. Gosh, yeah, that must have been incredibly, incredibly hard to to go through. And obviously, you were very fortunate in that they were able to do a, a knee replacement, and you've come out of surgery. Obviously, you're still having to have chemotherapy after the surgery, I presume. Yeah, so I went through. Um, uh, and I, I'm guessing that the the regime has changed somewhat over the years. I mean, this is going kind of 23 years ago now. Um, but I had two bouts of chemotherapy prior to surgery, and then four bouts afterwards. Um, and the chemo that I had was very much a, a three week cycle. So it was essentially the first week or the first few days just being pumped full of whatever they had on standby, and you know, just reaching for bag after bag. Um, you know, the second week kind of um, getting rid of any body weight that you might have. Mm -hmm. And then the third week, essentially trying to get as much toast into you as possible before you can start the next regime. So it's very much, uh, you know, a cycle of that kind of three week process. But after two of those, they took a break to to do my surgery. And then, you know, I came back and did another four um uh, four weeks so so you know I was diagnosed kind of end of July and then my surgery was kind of mid-September and then another four four lots of chemo taking me right up just before Christmas um, but I think w one of the things that and kind of reflecting on back on it it's kind of quite um, you know qu I guess quite surreal actually but I, w I went into physio pretty much two or three days after I came out of surgery I mean it was incredibly rapid mm. and I was doing physio on my knee kind of le almost learning to walk again because obviously the surgery involved you know it cuts away all the muscle and so all of that um you know leg mass that has been built up over the years of walking and running is just completely uh, destroyed and so you are you know literally trying to walk again and 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 because your muscles are um completely um you know disintegrated because they've all been they've all been severed the the way the joint works is there is a, a kind of an a a locking mechanism essentially where you, you force the knee joint back beyond its beyond its normal bending capacity in order that you get a um you know a beyond 180 vertical um alignment so it allows you to stand on it without having to use any muscle mass um so but what that means is you kind of have to w learn to walk again and learn and in a different way yeah exactly yeah because the, the kind of the gait that you would have 
um, as you normally walk just doesn't work because you end up just collapsing from right. as soon as you put your other leg down. And so you you need to learn again how to kind of swing your leg and your knee joint backwards beyond what you'd normally do, which feels incredibly odd. Um, you know, because it's almost like you're double jointed for, yeah. for for a while, and so that kind of physio kicked in, you know, almost instantaneously. And um, and I was doing physio in Birmingham, um, you know, twice a day for for many many weeks, and then that transitioned back to somewhere a little close to home. And I went to um, went to physio in Warwick, then and that kind of kept with me all the way through my my uh, chemo. I've said to you before you come came on today that we'd like to have some songs and some music, perhaps that's influenced you. Have you picked anything of that time that you could would like to share with our listeners now? Well, so I, I've picked all songs from that time. Um, so you know, I'm I'm a kind of a Brit pop baby, and so yes, um, me too. And so I kind of I had to look back over the kind of the late '90s archives to try and figure out what was actually going on at the time. <laughs> and so I picked a few songs from that era, which um, I kind of just I, I I don't really think they had a huge impact on me, particularly with regards to the surgery but there's certainly songs that kind of resonate about being that time and yeah. and so uh, you know they are they're things that kind of just remind me I guess when I was reflecting on this and thinking about what songs would make sense that um, either when I'd just come back to school um, you know after that period or when I was kind of traveling to the hospital things that had been played in the car so it's that kind of um, elements that I was kind of looking for. And I think that's that we always say the thing with music can be so powerful it can you can listen to something and you are sitting back in that car, you know, on your way to an appointment or going somewhere with your your friends. So what what have you picked? What have you got for me? Pick what's your first choice? So my first choice is actually a song that um and so it was a band I was I was very into when I before I went in surgery and then because I was I was going through um, you know, heavy chemo at the time. I kind of didn't realise what was going on in the music world, and I kind of came back to school after my operations, trying to get back into things. A bit. And my kind of my friends, uh, you know, introduced me back to to the band and said, "Oh, you know, this is the new single of the, the band." And so, and it's kind of quite an interesting, um, you know, philosophy in the song as well. And it's uh, it's Manuscript preachers and designed for life. <laughs> That was Manic Street Preachers, Design for Life. Here on Radio Broccoli, you're listening to the SCT Hour with Sarah Wright. So, James, before we went bursting into Britpop there, and thank you because I'm going to love all of the songs that you've picked today, I think it would be interesting for you to give your account of what it was actually like to go back to school, having had this surgery, chemo. Obviously, I guess people would know about... You know, you said you you kind of grew up in quite a rural part of the of the country. I guess in some ways, probably people knew who you were. And and what was that like? What was it like going back to school? Yeah, so um, I mean, you're right. I mean, I grew up in a in a very close knit community in in Warwickshire, and so you know, I think my mum and and dad and you know, I myself had had a quite a close friendship group around the area, and so yes, everyone knew me and knew about my condition and so there wasn't kind of uh, lack of support in there and I think you know the hospital had been very good in communicating to the school um, about what had been going on. Um, because of the timing of when I um, when I was diagnosed which was kind of late July we were kind of right in the middle of the summer holidays and so you know 
bizarrely enough, I kind of missed only really one term of school, which kind of looking back at it just feels a little bit odd because it kind of it doesn't feel like it should only be in one one term because so much happened. Mm. But, it, you know, I was you know diagnosed in late July and then kind of done and dusted just before Christmas, um, you know, and I think. Throughout that period, I'd been I'd been very fortunate with with regards to the the Royal Orthopaedic in Birmingham. And so, because I was on the cusp of um, you know of well, I guess adulthood, you know, actually there was a choice that could have been made about which ward I went into, and actually whether I you know and because seventeen is officially classed as an adult, there was a you know I could have very easily been put into the adult ward versus the children's ward. But actually, the the hospital was very keen, and I I you know looking back on it was very supportive of that to kind of move me into the children's ward. So I spent a lot of time amongst um, you know younger sufferers of the same disease, which actually I think going back to school as a result of that kind of kept me a little bit sane because I could see the whole. Um, you know the, the journey that everyone else had begun. It was quite a quite a positive experience, rather than um, I guess being with individuals who were a generation or two above me. And so when I went back to school, um, which actually was literally along the same timelines as the rest of the class in early January of of ninety um, of ninety seven. So you know I finished my last chemo um, the twentieth of December. God. So I had Christmas at home. And then I think it was like the 7th of Jan, I was back at school. Oh, I like your mum. She's so, like, right, you're going back to school. That's it. Out yeah, from I, under I mean, my I didn't. I was home for another six months <laughs> off, but it just wasn't going to work. Um, but yeah, so I was back into school. And, and obviously, you know, some of my friends knew and obviously the teachers knew. And that was fine. But, but obviously, you, it, with school, you have a number of people who are around who they've seen you kind of, you know, I guess a term or two ago, you know, you're looking one way and then you're coming back. Um, you know, with a walking stick because obviously you're having to learn to walk again. Uh, you know, with no hair because it's all fallen out. Um, you know, looking you know slightly more emaciated than you might have done when you went you went in. And so you do get a lot of questions about mm. you know what happened to you, and you kind of just have to face into that and just you know answer the questions and be very um, very direct about uh, about it and just deal with it as a matter of fact rather than trying to shy away from it. And you know, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm quite. I guess lucky again. I mean, um, you know, I, so I lost all my hair. Um, in fact, I lost all my hair all over my body, apart from my eyebrows, bizarrely enough. And so, but I never went down the wig route. Actually, I I, I was increasingly told I had a nice shaped head. Oh, so, that's good. you know, which which has boded well, given that it never grew back. <laughs> so, um, so, um, so from that perspective, I never went down the route of being worried about. Um, having to have a wig and so I was it was very obvious that there was something wrong with me um you know because I, I looked odd and so you know you kind of have to face into that there was no kind of ducking mm. or ducking away from it which you know again um I think helped because you just kind of start to wear it and you start to you know talk about it more and, and you know get the awareness yeah. up about it yeah, so yeah. you know and actually you know kids are I guess looking back kind of I think you you internalise people's reactions a lot more than the reality actually is, and so I think once people are over the initial kind of oh well you know are you okay and you're like yeah I'm fine I'm just recovery they're like cool so did you see the football last night and you just kind of they just get past it I mean you know the attention span of seventy year old boys is pretty slim at the best yeah. of times and so you know it's just you just move on and no, so and so actually by kind of forcing it out of the open you know by you know and not not deliberately but because I was you know, um, you know, without hair and with walking stick, it just meant that you know we must move past it very quickly. 
No, that's really great. And I think we we want to get as many songs as we can in today because, well, mainly because I like them so much. So if it's okay, we're going to go for another song now um, because I think this will sort of sum up your your teenage years. Yes, it will. <laughs> and we're going to go for what's your next song? What what what's what's next on the agenda? So um, aside from being an, uh, an absolutely classic uh, Britpop song from, from the late 90s, it's, it's something that I distinctly remember playing in the car on the way to the hospital one time with my mum. And I remember having an argument about with her about it, about whether the chorus had been ripped off from someone else or not. Oh. And um, I, I'm convinced it hasn't been, and she was convinced it had been. But anyway, this is Super Furry Animals and something for the weekend. That was Super Furry Animals, something for the weekend. This is the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli. So, James, I think it would be really beneficial for you to have an opportunity to, to sort of give your sort of musings and observations of that time because obviously it, it's, I think you said, 23 years on from that from that time. Give or take. Give or take. Um and it's just a, a good opportunity, I, I guess, for you to to kind of pass on any anything that you think would be would be beneficial to share. So, what what else can you think of of that time? I mean, I mentioned before that obviously the chemotherapy, um, you know, did take you know all my hair off all my body, and that actually bizarrely is one of the more traumatic elements of it. Kind of being in the shower and and having you know your hair fall out, and you know your hair from from across your body, and so. Um, you know, I'm I'm quite pleased that the eyebrows didn't go because that's um, I think I might have happened to drawn those on. But certainly, you know, they I did kind of you know in, in typical late '90s style have quite floppy, floppy hair. Um, you know, with a centre parting, and so you know the, the hospital did shave that in advance. But even so, you know that falling out along with um, other parts of um, of your body hair is is actually quite difficult to to witness and kind of um, you know have that happen to you. And you know, essentially, kind of step out of the shower and, and be, mm. you know, um, you know, look very different than when you when you stepped in. And so, you know, that's something which I think is is stuck with me. Not as a, you know, a, a nothing more than just it's a it's a memory that I found quite challenging, certainly to deal with. Which sounds very superficial, but I guess a lot of these things, when you're dealing with something so you know fundamental, um, you know, sometimes the superficial ones kind of do get uh, do do resonate with you. I think one of the other ones is obviously, I mean, chemotherapy is a very, um, you know, it's a very destructive um, approach to to what is a very destructive disease. And so, you know, it's essentially designed to to kill everything and, and, and then you rebuild from there, which, you know, um, which as a result of that, there are implications of, of undertaking that. And so, you know, at the time, um, you know, I had a very... Uh, open discussion with with the doctors about sperm and freezing sperm and so you know um i elected to freeze some sperm and for many years i um you know i i elected to keep the freezer on so to speak and but there was always that um that challenge of actually whether the sperm count would return and so at 17 you don't really think about children and um and it's kind of a, a something you do because people are urging you to do it but obviously as you get older um and your life choices tend to take shape actually you know how you want to um or can conceive in many ways um you know becomes quite 
quite concerning. You know, I, I was very lucky. Actually, my uh, my sperm can't return to uh, to normal, and I you know I have um, have a very healthy uh, baby girl now, and um, and so you know I feel very fortunate for that. And so as a result, I you know I'm not elected to keep things frozen any longer. But uh, but it is a very difficult time when you're trying to really kind of plan for the future when the future seems very far away and mm. actually some of the conversations you're having are kind of quite short term but also they're quite long term as well and so trying to balance that and and think about possible futures as also you know immediate challenges you know with regards to um you know what's happening with your leg and walking it's 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 a it's, it's a, a difficult lot balance of things to think about balance, isn't it yeah. yeah um you know i think i mean i touched on a little bit about being on on the children's ward and I, you know, whilst you know, not everyone will will get that opportunity depending on where they are in their in their age. I think, you know, the the positivity generated not only by the nurses but also by by some of the kids on the wards. I think that's a really, you know, important thing to to make reference to. And their kind of positivity as well spurred me on, and it was kind of a bit of a, a virtuous lovely, yeah. a virtuous cycle. And so, you know, I think being around people who have got the right attitude and are, you know, just I guess wanting to move on, I think is you know is 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 really important and something that I think looking back on it, I benefited massively from. Yeah, and I think you've got you strike me as having a very good, strong attitude to this, and and I think we said when we were talking on the phone often when when it's happening to you, you're sort of in control of it a little bit more perhaps, and and sometimes it's the people around you that are struggling with it more than the person who's actually having all that treatment and you know being sick and having knees replaced and you know that that must have been hard for your for your for your parents yeah I, I mean certainly when you're in the midst of it I mean it is there's a certain sense of things being done to you because there really isn't an option but to go along mm. with what the recommendation is and, and as I said at the beginning I mean we went from a situation where you know we were kind of laughing and joking that I had my foot in you know my leg in plaster to a, a situation where I was getting you know, some fairly serious drugs bumped into me um, within the course of a week. And so you don't really have yeah. a chance to process that, certainly in a, in a case where you might want to stop and reflect about whether this is the right answer, it just is happening. And so, you know, uh, from there onwards, you're into, um, you know, to, to use a, a crass analogy, you, you've, you've, you were at the sco- top of the ski, uh, ski slope when you pushed off and you are basically heading the bottom, whichever which way you go. There's no kind of turning around yes. then. So, you know, you just need to, you know, make sure you stay upright. And so really it was, as you say, the people around me that were probably more affected emotionally than, than I was. I mean, my sister's was 14 at the time, so she was still quite young yeah. and probably didn't quite comprehend the seriousness until later. My mum took a very practical approach, as is my dad, which was a very much, uh, you know, we just need to get on with it. We're not, we, you know, just almost flip into, into the business thing, you know, mm. get out their checklist, what's next, right, um, and, and really drive forward, which I think was their way of coping, to be honest. Yeah, I spoke yesterday to um, a lady who's, uh, for, for Sarcoma Awareness Week, we release an article each day about some, something to do with the hospital or, or someone who's had a sarcoma. And the lady I was speaking to yesterday, her son was diagnosed. She just thought he had a fat leg when he was nine months old. And he's now nine. And I said, what was that like? You know, as a parent, what was it like going through to being told that your nine-month-old child has a a, a, a sarcoma? 
She said, you know what, even now, she said, nine years on, I don't even know what just happened. Like, <laughs> I just, so I think you're right. You just kind of get caught up in this whole journey of it and it has to happen and it's happening and you're on the train or going down the ski slope and, you, you know, it, it's just happening and it's just got to happen. And I, I guess as a, as a mother and, you know, as a father, as you know now, there's no other alternative. You've just got to get on with it and you've just got to get through it. And I think you, you're, you're amazing. I think you've done... You've got such a great attitude about it. So if your parents have had anything to do with your attitude on this, well done to them. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have another song now before we go on and, and talk about uh, where we're up to now. Uh, so what's your next song, please? So the next song, again, from uh, from the Heady Heights of 1996, it's just a personal favourite of mine. I think this is one of the songs that uh, I loved at the time and, uh, you know, it still is just a, a great kind of pop indie song and it's uh, by Ash, it's called Goldfinger. Okay, well, that was Ash and Goldfinger. You're listening to Radio Broccoli. This is the SCT Hour with Sarah Wright. So for those of you listening, the SCT charity is based here at the RNOH. It's the Skeletal Cancer Trust, and we are entirely funded by donations. We have incredible supporters. We take part in many different uh, challenges throughout the year, the Thames Bridges Walk, the London Landmarks Half Marathon. Uh, we support other people doing whatever challenges they might be wanting to do or, or parties or uh, dinner parties, coffee mornings, bake sales, yoga, all sorts of things. Um, and the money that we raise uh, funds research based here at the RNOH. We put money into the 100,000 genomes, which is really a, a fantastic new approach to, to how we treat these rare cancers. We provide support for people um, and then we try and change lives through our Live Life to the Full campaign. Now, if you want to know more about our charity or just want to generally get in touch or sign up to our newsletter, which is a really great read and, and we send that out about four times a year, do email me on rnoh.sct at nhs.net. So, James... You were given your uh, operation of your of your new knee, and they said this will probably last you about ten years. And we are now how many years? A little over that. A little over that. We don't want to give away your age. I think I did that earlier on. The <laughs> so, what have you? Have you been extremely cautious? So it's 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 a great question. I mean, so I was always told when it was done. I mean, it was quite an experimental. Uh, knee when I when I was um, when I had it done and I was told it, it was they didn't really have any date on how long it would last and so it was always very much around a, a pretty much a guesstimate that, that ten years would need to be replaced and um, and so it's now kind of twenty three years on and I'm still on the first knee and um, and you know whilst I'm under no illusion at some point it is it's going to be replaced actually it's still you know. Uh, serve me pretty well. Um, I, I wouldn't say I've taken a cautious approach. I would say I've taken a um, a risk assessed approach, um, <laughs> which kind of means that I don't sit around at home with my leg up watching TV all the time. But equally, you know, I haven't been um, trying out for the 100 meter sprints or no. anything like that. Um, you know, and what that really means in practice is, you know, there are certain kind of guidelines where 
it, there was some pretty strong recommendations not to do you know things like contact sports like football or rugby which you know I was never hugely good at it at the first place so it was a very easy excuse to get out of them okay. um, but equally you know I've got I've got full mobility in my in my knee I you know I can I can run for the bus um, you know I can um, you know I can walk without any visible um, injury and and certainly I've um, had you know the opportunity after you know graduating um, you know to to travel the world with my work and and do some fairly ludicrous stuff for someone who has got a fake knee like climbing mountains and stuff which I guess looking back was probably slightly foolhardy but you know it's it's one of those things where you just kind of you in the moment and you do it anyway I think we should probably you know interrupt here and say for anyone listening you should probably run these things past your surgeon first yeah par- parental <laughs> guidance is uh, is needed in all of this stuff um, oh, good but, for you. But, but certainly I, I haven't I've never taken the approach that it has um stopped me from doing anything which I really wanted to do. Um it's it is certainly, you know I mean I used to be a very um a very keen and actually not bad long distance runner and that's one of those things I just had to kind of give up. Not because you know, I can run on it, but actually, it's not particularly good when you're talking about life expectancy of a knee. Yeah. And so, the kind of that's a, the kind of the risk assessment where do I want to wear the joint out by participating in running, or do I want to, you know, uh, extend the life of it by by not? And I've taken the decision to to go with the latter simply because actually, you know, the benefits, you know, I think of having the knee longer term rather than have multiple surgeries outweighs the um, the running. And so, I've had to find other ways of of trying to. Um, you know, I guess get the exercise into my into my life, or not, as the case may be. Yeah. Um. You know, chasing around after a three year old tends to tends to uh, wear you out enough. Just a bit, yeah. And you you've said before that you got quite into is it Bikram yoga? You found that quite useful. I did, yeah. So I mean, um, so hot yoga or yoga in a hot room. I mean, so um, one of the things that I found over the years is actually you know the knee tends to feel different depending on the seasons and so when it's cold weather uh, or you're sitting in a position for a long period of time it tends to seize up a bit and you feel a bit kind of um, a little bit achy and you need to kind of stretch it out and actually um, doing yoga and, and kind of stretches in a in a hot room you know that kind of environment of, of running through the same series of routines and strengthening the muscles in mm. ways that you wouldn't normally do you know I find actually very helpful in kind of uh, you know I guess changing the mobility. So actually, my my bend profile on my knee is quite, um, you know, is quite extensive. And you know, whilst I wouldn't profess to to have the mobility of a of a of a normal knee joint, actually, it is quite, um, you know, it, it does bend quite a long way. And so, you know, it means that I've got quite a good mobility. And and certainly doing the exercises, not only uh, the physio ones back in the day, but also Bikram more recently, where because I had some problems actually. Um, you know, with it seizing up and stuff, actually does help. And so, you know, I've certainly found that as a as a good way of keeping up the um, the mobility and the muscle mass. And you know, for all of the physiotherapists who'll be listening to this around the hospital, they are going to be applauding now, hearing you say that you would do, you did always do your physio exercises, <laughs> that you've you know been active in Bikram yoga. I think they're all going to be very, very happy with you. That's right. I mean, they're buying me lunches. Absolutely. <laughs> You're sponsored. Um, and can you tell the sort of little anecdote of how you came to to sort of be involved in, in with SCT? I think you, I like the, the what the registrar said as you walked into the the room when you when you met him and he looked at you and thought, "Hang on, have I got the right person here? Is this are you who you're supposed to be coming into my room?" Yeah. So I mean, I've been going. Um, I still have my annual checkups every year. Um, 
you know, and I go down to uh, Bolsover Street in London, which is where I live now, to just go in, which is, you know, it's it's great and, um, you know, it's, it's a fairly, um, you know, unintrusive um, procedure now. I used to have lots of x-rays and lots of scans, and now it's much more around just a quick x-ray on the knee to check everything's okay. Um, uh, and then you go and see one of the registrars, uh, one of the doctors uh, or consultants or, or whoever they are seeing me today and to just talk about it. And the the reason I'm kind of here today is um, it, it's much like you said. So when I walked into the room, um, I kind of got a look of surprise that I was, you know, perhaps in the wrong place. <laughs> and the guy kind of looked, you know, took one look at the uh, the X-ray and then looked at me and then back again. It's one of like one of those, you know, seventies comedy movies where he's looking backwards and forwards, and kind of, you know, looked at me and and kind of half laughing said, you know, I've done, I do so many of these things. When I look at a an injury like yours and the the procedure, I kind of get an impression after doing this about what people look like and how, you know, given their age, how they're going to react and. Um, and and you strolled in here like it was, you know, you were just kind of out for a walk, and I yeah. and I kind of say, well, this is just kind of, you know, I, I've always had this mobility, and you know, it's it's been you know quite positive, and so he said, well, look, I mean, you know, I think it's actually quite quite different from some of the experiences I've seen, and actually, you know, it's um, you know, it's, it's very pleasing to see, especially given you're on the same knee and blah blah blah. So you know, I happen to say, well, look, if if this is of help. Then I'd, you know, I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to talk about it and talk about my experiences. And uh, and he said, "Well, funny you should say that. Yes, um, I have someone who you should probably meet." And um, and Sarah, you then gave me a call, and we are sitting here today as a result of that. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I guess what what would do you think will be beneficial for being involved with a, a charity like ours? What what can you see? would be uh, that you can lend to it and what we as a charity do to help other people, do you think? It's putting you on the spot there. So, I mean, I think awareness of this is is really important. I think, you know, I mean, I mean, cancer itself doesn't need any awareness at all, but but this particular one, which is around, you know, uh, you know, bone cancers and osteosarcomas, you know, this is still a very rare disease and actually, um, you know, the... The recognition and the spotting it early mm. is, you know, it needs to be, um, you know, it, it just needs to be communicated out there so more, um, more, you know, young adults and children have the opportunity to, uh, I get, I, I guess, get picked up as sooner as soon as I did in the process, and so have the opportunity to get back to as being fully functioning as possible, you know. And I, as I said at the beginning, I feel very lucky that we we chanced on an individual who happened to know what he's yeah. looking for in the X-ray, and you know, all the kind of you know, various stars aligned to get me into um, into chemo within a week. And that's not always possible. You know, a, a lot of, I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, people having to, having this discovered through physios or doctors mm. having to be trained up on it. And actually that, that, that change in approach is only going to come from awareness and awareness can only come from organisations uh, such as this charity forcing it into the light. And so, you know, I think um, the reason I'm here and talking about this sort of stuff um, is to try and you know shine a, a glimmer of light into you know what was a very dark time. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, and thank you very much. I I think you know as we've gone through this this conversation today, you, you've you've done you're amazing. You, you like you say you you look just like uh, sorry normal guy walking along with a normal normal leg. You would never know. And I guess, you know, your mum, when she and your dad, when your family listen to this, they'll probably think they brought up a really, you know, well-rounded, go-get-em kind of guy. And it's it, they'll take the credit for it. And obviously the surgeons are going to say, well, 
you know, we did it because we we put a great knee in there and it's, it's, it's all of our good work. And then there'll be the physios and they'll say, yeah, but it was our exercises that got him back to walking and learning to walk again. But actually, I think you're incredibly mentally strong. I think you didn't want this to define who you were as a person. And I think that's a great credit. And, and I, I'm, I imagine that's a hard thing to do. But from somebody who, you know, sees sees this quite a lot, more than I'd like to, I think, you know, you, you, it's your personality and it's your mental capability that, that's got you where you are. And I think that's really amazing. So from me, well done. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to add before we get on to your last song? I think, I mean... I mean, I think I've talked about a little about my journey. I guess reflections on, you know, how it affects me now. Um, it kind of affects me in odd ways, I think, is probably the easiest thing to do. I mean, I'm resigned to um, a fairly lengthy security check at airports. Um, I mean, that just comes with the territory now. And I used to, when I first had it done, I used to, I was given a, a, a card to hand over to, um, you know, the, the guys at the uh the, the security screening to to show them what I had. I mean, nowadays I've been, uh, you know, I've been strip searched at, oh, at airports no. and scanned and all kinds of things. It's you kind of, unfortunately, in the environment that we live in today, you, yeah. you can't you can't really get away and say I've got a metal leg and they go, oh cool, you can just walk through. Then that doesn't really fly, no pun intended. Um, and so <laughs> and so you know there you know you just kind of have to accept that you're going to take a slightly longer time at. Um, at airport screenings. Allow so, the time, yeah. Allow the time, exactly. Well, you I know. bet your wife and the three-year-old are very happy about that. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, <laughs> to be fair, my three-year-old probably takes longer. But, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, so um, so that's, I guess that's one of the things, and it's just, it's again, it's one of those, it's, it's an environment that you just need to change. I, I spoke a little bit about the... Um, the changing of the seasons and how it affects you. And again, that's, uh, you know, you can almost, um, you know, tell the weather by how your knee feels. It's almost, uh, it's one of those kind of weird old wives tales that's come true. Um, You know, and, you know, that isn't a a barrier, but you do find it does change. It does feel different as you go through through it. And so, you know, it shouldn't be unusual, um, you know, that it does feel different. Um, But I think the other, I think the other thing is it's, it's one of those weird things where, it's always there, but I forget it's there at the same time. And it's it's a difficult one to explain because it feels very different to a normal leg. Um, and, but it's become such a part of me that I don't mm. notice it. And so it's only when I start to focus on it that actually it becomes an issue. And yeah. so it's never, you know, I, I guess it's become such a normal part of me yeah. that actually it doesn't affect me in ways that you would think it would do. You know, I mean, it is you know one of your four limbs which essentially is um you know is titanium which is the the metal i use i i when i start, first started work we used to do you know the 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 two truths and a lie type thing to try and get to know oh, people and one of my one of my three was i'm a cyborg and you know and that inevitably either got guessed right or wrong depending on the audience yeah. and obviously what the other two were um <laughs> but you know the you know it doesn't really um affect me in ways that i think it would do if you'd asked me having had it done and having gone through all this surgery and and physio where you know it was a very difficult time I think now you know it's just it is kind of who I am and it doesn't really um make much difference except for the fact that you know I'm not doing you know as much physical exercise as you might you know have from uh from from other individuals of my age which you know is partly because of my name partly because I'm lazy so Uh, and you have a very a job that demands quite a lot of you. So, you know, you you can be forgiven for not, <laughs> not doing too much. 
And I think just the last question really I wanted to ask is just that yearly check. You touched on it. You know, do you get nervous when you, you're coming up to that appointment? It's one of those things where you kind of, you know your knee well enough now. I mean, it's been over, it's been 23 years, give or take. I know my knee well enough now to know when it's, when something's going awry or going not awry and so I have gone into the yearly checkup where something is twinging and something is hurting and I do get a little anxious about that um and so you know when we and we do the x-rays and all that stuff and everything's been fine thus far and so the you know but but you know kind of going into it whether it's it's something that needs to be worried about uh you know and Bolsover Street is obviously a very different environment than the Royal Orthopaedic as well. It's a very it has a very different feel to it, and so when I first started going to Bolsover Street rather than the Orthopaedic, it was a, uh, you know, actually you kind of get tra- you got taken into a different environment, and it was strange because I when I came back to to Stanmore the the other week actually when I, was, I came from a, an outpatient here, which was the first time in years I'd been back to to the one of the main campuses. And that brought back a lot of memories, yeah. rather bizarrely, actually. I wasn't expecting it to, and that quite, was quite emotional, um, just because it brought back a lot of memories of, of a time that, um, not that I'd forgotten, but because I'd, you know, I'd moved away from being on a big hospital campus and, and being in the, you know, the big um, outpatient area within a hospital. Um, so, you know, but I'm back here today, and that's fine. It's just I wasn't expecting it. But I think from, uh, from going into Bolsover Street and having that yearly checkup, Broadly, you know, it's it's fine actually, and I find it quite reassuring. I've always maintained it, always want to have it. It was never a situation where I thought I'm, you know, I, I would rather just knock it on the head and yeah. forget about it. I thought it's a peace of mind thing. I'll do it. You know, it is a good opportunity to talk about, you know, my knee. Talk about, you know, with some people who have seen, you know, all kinds of patients. You know, and and we're getting to the stage now where at some point I'm going to have to have my knee replaced, and so, you know, whilst touch wood, it won't be anytime soon. Um, you know, and certainly the X-rays seem to indicate that it's got a few years left on it. Right. You know, we, uh, you know, I, there is a reality there that needs to happen, and so it would be um, naive of me not to not to recognise that and, and slightly churlish to ignore it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I mean, this is the first time I've met you today and obviously we've we've spoken on the phone. I'm really excited about you being involved with the charity. I think you've got, you know, we're a really, I would say we're a very small but very mighty charity. So we are so happy to have you involved in whatever capacity you can be involved. So thank you very much. Thank you for today. I think people will find it really beneficial to listen to your your journey and just take bits out of it that, that probably resonate with them. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, it's been, you know, very interesting talking about it and actually quite cathartic. So. Yeah, I bet, actually. <laughs>